Can we start with the, like a Christmas game? You guys up for that? And uh, it's, I'm going to say 10 phrases or idioms, and you got to complete them. All right, in some places I'll help you. But um, you keep track of your own score. Let's see if you can get all 10. Like here's the first one. It should be really easy. Tis the season. You nailed it. One of one. All right. Uh, good things come in small packages. Very good. Um, when you like set something ablaze or there's an explosion, you say that lit up like a, like a fire, but it's Christmas tree. <laughs> It's Christmas tree. So, so you, you keep track here. Now, um, there's this fourth one I think comes from the UK because I'd never heard it, but I just had to include it to make sure that no one got a 10 out of 10. Um, maybe you uh, are very, like, you know, worldly wise and you would know this, but it, it, this is what happens when, like, um, something you don't want to happen, you say yes to. And so it's like turkeys voting... No one? That's how I felt when I read it, too. Uh, it's like turkeys voting for Christmas. Anyone ever said that? You ever heard anyone say that? Well, I promise you it is a Christmas idiom, right? So now you have something to go to your families with and be like, that's like turkeys voting for Christmas. And they'll be like, what? You're like, I'm so wise. All right, anyway. When someone gets something good earlier in the year that's outstanding, we sometimes say Christmas came. Very good. Um, when you are indulging at Christmas time, you say, hey, Christmas comes, but once a year. Uh, we deck the, we trim the, we, when you have a sweet, awesome little gift, we call it a stocking yeah, and when grandma knits you that perfect sweater that you never wanted, we say it's the thought that counts. Right. Merry Christmas, NBC. How did you? Did anyone? No one got all ten. Who got nine? Yes. And some of you are very excited about it too. You're like, I did, and I am very proud of you. All right. Um, okay. Two more. We're talking now. That's good. I just want to get us talking. I want to. Um, starts two things, and I want you as a church to complete them out loud with me. Give me your best, okay? And if we have some, do we have envy kids in the room, some of you? You should know this, so you're going to have to be loud and proud, but we'll start this first one. Um, so if you know it, let's see how long we can carry it. Jesus loves me. Can you give yourselves a hand? That was awesome. Uh, the second one is this, and you may have seen this at football games. For God so loved Keep going. Awesome. Yeah, there was like 20 different translations that came out, and I knew that was going to happen. But you did really, really 
Well, with that, I learned both of these when I was a kid. John 3.16 was the first verse I learned. And my grandpa, my grandpa paid me a quarter to memorize it. I was so excited. He's like, I'll pay you a quarter for every verse you learn. And then I learned there was this other verse called Jesus Wept. I'm like, I'm going to be rich. And uh, I learned that one. That was my second one. But, you know, yeah. Um, Jesus loves me. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. These are things I learned when I was just a child. And at any point in my life, if you had asked me, hey, do you think that's true? I would have said yes, absolutely. Now, there were seasons in my life, and even recently there have been seasons, where life is so difficult and painful that I don't know what to do with that. It feels like something that's over here. Like, yes, it's not that I didn't believe it, but it feels over here, and my life feels over here in this pain or difficulty or reality. And that's just me being honest. Um, But when we say God loves us, do we really understand what that means? And, like, think about the way that we use the word love. Right? I love good coffee. I love my wife. Those possibly can't, they can't possibly be the same thing, can they? Like, I love a good story, right? In our English language, we so casually use the word love in so many different ways. And for so many of us who've grown up in the church, we, we've heard God's, God loves us from the beginning. And we would say, yes, we believe that. We believe Jesus died for us. But, like, do we really live in a way that says we understand that? and like order our lives around it. It's a simple truth, but it can lose its meaning. It can just be a phrase that we rattle off, right? And I think this is why Paul, when he prays in Ephesians 3, um, for people in Ephesus, he's like, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that the, like, God would fill you with his Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit would bring strength to your inner being and so that your inner being would be super strong and this inner being would be able to like abide with Jesus and in the abiding of Christ you would know how wide and how deep and how long and how far the love of Christ is. It's almost like um, yeah, it takes something spiritual to really plumb the depths of this, an inner strength, something in our inner being, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that we can say, think, and be like, I got it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our inner being by your Holy Spirit so that we can abide with Jesus and know the depths and reaches of your love for us. All right, turn to Exodus 34. This is where we're going to start. And what we're going to look at today, I, it's been huge in my own life, and I think it's big for Advent in the sense that when we talk about Jesus being the arrival of God with us, like, right, and his kingdom... And this king, what is he like? What is his kingdom like? Like, what does it mean to relate to this God who's with us? And 
this is going to be instrumental for us. Now, the story here in Exodus 34 is Moses. He's on a mountain. And if you go, I love this story as a kid. If you go to the chapter before, Moses is, is declaring to God, hey, I don't want to go anywhere if you're not going to be there. And they're hanging out. And uh, they, God, God's talking about how he has revealed himself. And Moses is like, yeah, you've told me your name. But Lord, show me your glory. And uh, God's like, okay. But I'm so awesome that I'm going to take you and I'm going to hide you in a rock. And then I'm just going to go by you super quick. And I'm going to say my name and you're just going to get to see my backside. And as a kid, I was like, oh, backside. <laughs> like, I thought that was hilarious. I know my wife is like, you shouldn't have said that. You're a pastor. And... Uh, but I had this, but God's not like us. But it was, the idea is that God is so awesome that if you looked him in the face, like you would die. And so God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock and, and he goes by him and then he announces himself to Moses. And, and he says this in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And I'm reading from the ESV. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and on and on and on. Now, in my Bible, it says, there's, there's a word we're going to look at today, and, and, and in my Bible, it's, it says steadfast Love, abound, it's after the phrase slow to anger, and it says abounding in steadfast love. What does your translation, do you, does anyone have anything different? Loyal love, what else? Unfailing love, loving kindness, love and faithfulness. And uh, the word here is hesed. All right, can we say that together? Hesed. And if you were Hebrew, you would give it like a somewhere in there, and I can't do that, so we're not going to spend the morning on that, all right? But hesed, is a, that's a translated English word. That's how it sounds uh, if you transliterated it into English. Um, hesed is an untranslatable word. And you're like, Josh, you can't pull a fast one on me. They translate it right here. And the truth is, the reason we have so many definition, definition, definitions, no, definitions, um, different words, is because the, the meaning of the word is so huge. And the moment we put it into English, we've lost something. Because our English words cannot contain the hugeness of God's steadfast, loyal love. Now, um, but God says, I am full of Hesed, and I give Hesed for a thousand generations. Um, this word can be translated love, unfailing love, steadfast love, mercy, compassion, favor, covenant faithfulness, devotion, kindness, loving kindness. You get in the point, there's a lot of words for Hesed. Um, in fact, the word loving kindness itself is a word that was invented. In the English language, in 1535, uh, by a guy named, let me get it right. I didn't write it down. 
My bad. I want to say Coverfield. He uh, is his last name. Good luck finding the rest of the info. No. Um, something. Miles Coverfield. There it is. Okay. Miles Coverfield. He invented this word in 1535. He made the first printed, complete translation of the English Bible. Okay? So he had to invent a word to capture this. So he said, hey, we don't really have a word that does it, so we're going to call it loving kindness. And I love that word for Hasid because um, it, it combines the ideas of love and generosity and enduring commitment. Hasid is an act of promise-keeping loyalty that's motivated by deep personal care and undeserved and unexpected kindness. The best translations, I think, are loyal, love, and unexpected kindness. And so when God comes and announces himself to Moses, he says, I am loyal love and unexpected kindness. Now, if you're Moses, this is early on, guys, in history, I think this is going to be a surprise. You would think the God who created the cosmos is almighty. Yeah. Right? He's infinite. He knows everything. But he's kind? He's kind? He's loving? Yes. And so what's Moses' response? He gets on his face and he worships God. God says, I am full of Hesed. I give Hesed to a thousand generations. So God is, just keep tracking with me, God is Hesed. He doesn't just do Hesed things, but he is Hesed. Numbers 14, it's, a, it's another part of the story of Moses and Israel, and uh, they're about to, God's like revealed the promised land, and, and, and most of the people are like, no way, the enemies are too great, we can't take this land, uh, we don't believe God in your protection for us, in fact, we want a different leader, Let's just, okay, we're going to sign a different leader, Pat is out, we're going to get a new leader, and he's going to take us to Egypt, right, that would be like what it was, take us back, and in fact, they pick up stones, it says in Numbers uh, 14, to stone their leaders, to kill them. And the glory of God just invades the moment and just, and he, and, and, and he pulls Moses, so he stops it. He pulls Moses aside and he's like, hey, I want to start over. You want to start over? I can be faithful to my promises to Abraham and we'll just take it from you on. Like, we'll, I'll be faithful, but these people, are, man, they don't believe me. They don't trust me. They're despairing, like, it's terrible. They don't, and, and Moses is like, God, he appeals, like, forgive them, for you're a God of Hesed. And God's like, okay, you're right. I am. Moses doesn't appeal to Israel's, like, they'll turn it around, <laughs> right? They'll, do, they'll get it right. He doesn't appeal to them. He appeals to who God is. And so forgiveness comes then out of who he is to these people. That's one example of Hesed. Even earlier in the story, Jacob, you guys know who Jacob is? He is the grandson of Abraham. 
And uh, Jacob is a deceiver. He's known as a liar. He lies even to his own family. And still God, God chooses him and he repeats his covenantal promises to Jacob, the same ones that he made to his, his grandfather. I'm going to, through you, make a great nation that will bless the whole world. And it's 20 years later, 20 years later, Jacob realizes how undeserving he is of God's love. Genesis, if you want to look this up, it's in Genesis 32, verse 10. And he's like, I am not worthy of all the hesed you've shown me. And Jacob gets it right. He's not. Hesed is, God's love has nothing to do with you or me and everything to do with who he is. Consider the book of Hosea. These are all great stories that you can look up. Hosea is a story of a prophet who marries this woman who is unfaithful to him and cheats on him all the time. All the time. And he loves her persistently with a loyal, steady love. And in Hosea 2, it says the hesed of God is so great, so mighty, that God is going to keep his promises, his covenant with his people, regardless of how much they are unfaithful to him. Because that's just who God is. God's hesed is enduring. Have you heard that word? The love of God endures forever right? That comes from Psalm 136. It's all over the Bible where it says, give thanks to the Lord. The first verse is give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then 26 verses, it repeats over and over. His hesed is forever. His hesed is forever. His love for us, his loving kindness towards us is forever. And, and if you, man, if you want to take this further, uh, we're, we're going to link a few things. If you, if you go back to the sermon, you can find these links. A couple things. Um, Michael Card wrote a book called, what's it called? Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness. If you like to read, this is a fantastic book. You can come up and, and get the title up here afterward if you want to. Um, fantastic book. And... Uh, that's one resource. Another resource that we'll link is the Bible Project video on Hesed, which I think is awesome as well. And that's, if you like me, if you like moving pictures instead of words, that's very good. Um, it's great. It's like five, I think five minutes or less, and it just it, it explains this in such a great, great way. We did a study for our small groups on the word Hesed. We'll link that. There's a lot of scripture in there that you can look at. Because the, the biblical writers, they connect God's hesed, like, like an act, his keeping his, his covenants is an act of hesed. Right? God being faithful is an act of hesed. God being just is an act of hesed. It's connected to when he's merciful, when he's compassionate. Um, it's connected to his righteousness and his goodness. So you can take this word and study it for a long time. It, it appears 250 times in the Old Testament. Did I tell you that? It's translated 169 different ways across six different translations. It's a big word. 
So when we start to say, when we say God loves you, what that's really grounded in is this word hesed. So a lot, it's like if we put all that into Jesus loves me, the song gets a little long, right? But it is that simple. It is that simple. If you, if you like to take notes, this is how I would write it. God is love. And in all, in all his dealings with us, he always acts with love. This is who God is. And this is why this time of year when we celebrate Jesus, we remember this. Because Jesus is the greatest expression of Hesed. John 3.16, we said it already together. What was the motivation? God so loves the world. God loved the world, so Jesus came and he, he bound our broken humanity to himself in order to save us. He embodied, he took on flesh, right? So he brought Hesed, the fullness of God, it says, in Colossians 2, dwelt in him. Right? He made God known to us, John 1. Jesus is Hesed in the flesh. He reveals God's love to us in the greatest act of human history. He suffered under the weight of our sin and brokenness, bore it unto death on a cross for us. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Hesed gave up his life for us. Jesus himself said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this. You know where I'm going? These are familiar things for us, right? That, that they laid down, no greater love has anyone than this. They laid down their life for their friends. And this is exactly what Jesus did. And this is exactly what following Jesus is about, actually. To be people of love. This is the end goal of discipleship, by the way. To be people of love as defined by Jesus. Right? It's not to store up a bunch of stuff up here. It's to release the love of God into the world. It's unexpected or undeserved kindness in its greatest display. And it comes out of who God is. Titus 3, 4 through 5 says, When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, and catch this, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. It goes back to this idea that God's love is undeserved. It's an unexpected, undeserved kindness. And you're probably like, Josh, that's as old news as Jesus loves me. <laughs> What's the point? Well, I don't think you're dumb. I know you get it. I think you get that Jesus loves you. I think you believe it. But here's the thing, and, and nerd out with me for a second. I think when it comes to relating to God in the day-to-day, -day, we struggle instead with our relationship being about performance. And there's a reason why. I mean, if, if you know me and we're friends, Abe, we've been friends a long time, right? 
If I ran up to you and just decked you, laid you out cold right now, first of all, that could never happen. Abe is trained in many skills, and it would never happen. But, like, if I hurt my friend, we have to deal with that. We feel that. We sit in that emotion, right? And we know, I think we know, we're fully aware of our own sin and brokenness, and when we come into God's presence, it's impossible for us to not be like, yeah, I'm not perfect. But here's the thing, and think, think on this with me. God is outside of this moment and every moment. In fact, God already knows the mistakes you haven't made yet. God is, sits in the whole time of your life. Can you imagine? I've heard my wife so many times in our marriage. Can you imagine if she had to bear the weight of all those pains in one moment? Yeah, yeah, it'd be terrible, bro. Like, no one could do that, whereas as human beings, we're not wired for that. But God knows you exactly as you are with all your insufficiencies, with all your failures, with all your brokenness, and yet he meets you just as you are every moment in love. Because your failures, your actions, good or bad, is not even close to being as great as who God is. God loves you. It's who he is. But I think we struggle. We struggle to meet God in that. Paul understood this. In, in Romans 7, Paul says, you know, he comes to the end of Romans 7. He's talked for a while about, um, he has, he's, he's been raised to new life in Christ. Right? But, um, alongside of this desire to do good and the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, alongside of that is this, this evil and sin that's in his flesh. And he says, I'm a wretched man. I am a wretched man because of this. It's not like Paul doesn't understand he's a new creation. He's really good at theology. He gets it. But he's fully aware of his brokenness. And he says, who will save me from this body of sin and death? And he says, praise be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who redeems me. And, and if you just flip the page in, in Romans 8, verse 1, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you heard that? So it's not that Paul doesn't come into God's presence and he's not aware of his brokenness. He knows he's broken, people. But he just so gets who God is. That he's moved on. He doesn't relate to God based on his performance or his brokenness. He just takes God for who he is at his word every time. And so he's able to write. And you, let's turn there, actually. Let's go to Romans 8. I think we have time for this. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes, by the way. We'll get, we'll get there. All right, Romans 8, verse 34. You've heard this, right? And I love that it starts with this question. Who is to condemn? Romans 8, 34. No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is important for our understanding of God's love too. We'll come back to that. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, this is Paul, he gets it. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was in college, my freshman year, I, you know, I grew up here at Moraine, and uh, I did all the Moraine things in high school. I got involved in, on the worship team. I was a student leader in the student minister, ministry, and, you know, we had years. I grew up in the church. We had years of telling us as a kid, the, when you get to be an adult, the kind of things that Christian kids do, Christian adults do, and the kind of things that they don't do. And I spent a year of my life going away to school, and I found a group of Christians that did all the things that you weren't supposed to do. And I really liked a girl in that group, and so we did all the things that you weren't supposed to do. And so when I came back here, and, and I was hooked on cigarettes, and I, I experienced drinking and drugs and things that I never knew, I was so full of shame, and I hid that from so many people. Because I, I didn't want them to know I wanted them to see me the same way, and I knew that you weren't supposed to. The good kids don't do that kind of stuff. And, and, and the Internet was just coming out, right? And, and you know that you can use the Internet for evil. And, but that, at that time, especially, you didn't talk about that. No, let's not talk about that. Though that's really, anyone who would dare do anything evil online, look at anything they shouldn't. That's a very terrible person. And I had all this shame in my life. And for years, I, when I would slow down with God, I mean, I believed I was saved. I believe he loved me. But for years, I believed he was just disappointed with me. I, I did. I, I, I had just shame. And, and even as I tried to do good and, like, I, I wanted to move past those mistakes, and it was like I was, I was like, God, look, like, no matter how much good I did, like how much distance even in time I put between it, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that I didn't believe the gospel. I really didn't. I didn't believe God loved me. I would believe it for you, but if I had believed, I would have been able to boast in my weaknesses. I would have confessed my sin to other people. I would have experienced God's healing much quicker. I would have known that God loves me like the, like the father and the prodigal son. I would have believed that was true for my life. And I wasted years in shame with my relationship with God. Nothing, guys, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Paul means that. He understands that. So what do we do with that? Remember when um, I brought up Jesus and, and that phrase, he says, greater love has no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. You know where that, conversa where that happens, the context of what conversation? It's um, John 15. You could turn there if you want. This will be the last place we turn.
It's in, the, it's in this section, it's in this section, this conversation, where Jesus says, abide in me, and I'll abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, this is verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you don't abide in me, this is what it's going to feel like. The experience is like. This is true. He is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, though, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's, and it goes on, as the Father has loved me, I love this verse, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my life. Love. This word abide means to make your home in. Settle. Have you ever moved into somewhere? It takes time. Right? effort. It's a process. And Jesus says, make your home in me. And and see, here's the secret. I couldn't abide in Jesus because shame was ruling my thoughts every time I came into God's presence. And I think that's a hindrance. Maybe you share that. Maybe when you slow down with God, there's a restlessness in you that comes from shame, comes from failure. And I would just tell you, God does not relate to you Based on that, it is not a human relationship. God loves you. He meets you with Hesed. There's not a moment in your existence that God does not come to you in full love. You want to experience that love, remain in it, abide in Jesus. It takes relationship with him. And, and I think the biggest reason in our culture today that we don't operate in Hesed is because we don't abide in Christ. We don't know how to slow down. The frenetic pace of life, the digital chaos of our world, the dopamine hits of our phone or the news on blast constantly in the, in the background. We don't know how to stop and be with Jesus. But that's where we totally experience the reality of God's love. That's why this season, you know, we, we've we said we want to slow down here. We want to take moments where we reflect on God's, the coming of Christ, God's peace, his hope, his love, his joy for us. Because slowing down and, and taking mind of that is important. Right? We are so, sometimes... If we're honest, we're so tired. Life is so exhausting. There's like this low-grade exhaustion just behind our entire life that to spend time with Jesus sounds like work. Anyone there? You ever felt that way? But abide in Christ. Remain in my love. I've just spent like 45 minutes trying to convince you how big God's love is for you. 
And I'm not saying I did that perfectly, but I did it in the best way I could this morning. And, and I just want, <laughs> I want to say now, um, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but if I told you that it isn't complete, if I told you God's love for you wasn't complete, does that sound ridiculous after the other things I've said? It, it probably does. But in John 15, going back to verse 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, complete. And then he says, This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. The picture is this. You know, just before he said, as the Father has loved me, so I love you, remain in my love. Hesed, God's love for us, completes itself when it causes us to turn back to Jesus and abide in him And then when it finds its way through us to one another. And Jesus said, when that happens, you'll have my joy and it will be in full. Right? So, we need to understand God loves us. That every every single interaction that he has with us, every moment, he meets us with love. And that love is meant not just for us, but to guide us back to him and to flow through us to the world. Carl Barth, Barth, I don't know, that came out so funny. Carl Barth, theologian, was asked, summarize your whole life work in theology. Can you do it in one sentence? It was a Q&A with him, and he said, sure. Jesus loves me, this I know. This I know. Right? And maybe the thing that we were taught at the beginning isn't just a kid's song. Maybe it's the most profound thing of all. 